Welcome to Vice and Easy, your podcast for all things Miami Vice, with your host, Marina. Hello, and welcome back to Vice and Easy. Quick programming note, I just want to thank you all for your patience and understanding. Um, I know the releases have been a little scattered and unorganized, and I really do thank you for bearing with me. This is not something that I intended. There were a lot of really great opportunities for me in October, November, and a lot of travel. And then just unfortunately, it's just really hard to balance both and then keep working full time. And so, yeah, as grateful as I am to have had like a little bit of time away, it's ultimately I didn't want to take away from the podcast, but unfortunately it did. So I'm really going to try better to have my schedule more normalized. Obviously, I might take a week or two off for Christmas. I think that's what most podcasts are doing. But hopefully my entire goal before I recorded 35 episodes was to have a backlog, to have like one or two episodes already recorded so you didn't have to worry about if you skipped a week. And uh, leaving it to the last minute as I do, this is not the case. So again, thank you again for bearing with me. I really do have to hope to have more regular programming in the future just to make sure I'm more of a reliable podcast for you guys. I know that is a big deal with content creation and it's something that I do take seriously. And uh, it was kind of funny this week. I was recording it on Thursday, but I had donated blood earlier in the week. And then when I went to the doctor like a day or two after, they were taking my blood pressure and both the nurse and my doctor were like, are, are you okay? Do you feel faint? Do you... Like, I was already sitting down. I was like, no, why? They're like, your blood pressure is really, really low. I was like, oh, because it's just never really been... It's never been high or low for me. It's kind of always been on the lower side. And then when I got the booster and I was supposed to get my pneumonia shot too, and I was like, no, 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 no. I don't want to do both one day. Last time I got really tired, went home, took a NyQuil. After spending the whole night out with friends at an event, I slept for 13 hours. <laughs> 13 hours and again I felt okay the day after but I was super lightheaded still just from after donating blood and not taking my iron supplements so yeah just a very uh funny way funny excuse I would say to why the podcast is late it's like I was really tired my blood pressure was really low but it really was I digress now let's get to the episode this week we're covering season two episode 14 entitled Yankee Dollar Per IMDb, the synopsis is as follows. When Crockett sees his stewardess girlfriend die from smuggling balloons of cocaine into the country, he and Tubbs go undercover to expose the ring. Now that the cold open has been spoiled for you all, let's have a little bit of fun with this. So, you know, everybody's talking about their plans for the next couple days off. You got Zito and Swiatek talking about going to go see 101 Dalmatians. This would be for you kids. This would be like the 1961 version, not the one that we grew up with, with Glenn Close. Then Gina and Trudy are talking. They're going off to bust somebody because you see Gina with her gun and Trudy with her recorder. Then Tubbs has a very interesting weekend planned. And I guess he invited Crockett along. But listen to what he has in store and you can understand why Crockett declined in this next clip. I don't know, Donna. Might be a out-of-body kind of thing. And maybe take you to places you've never actually been. <laughs> oh, you like that? Well, I can be there in uh, half an hour. Mm-hmm. You can count on it. And be a slice of heaven. You could come. 
No thanks. From the sound of things, I'd be a fifth wheel on your uh, spaceship. <laughs> so Crockett gets working on his stuff for like 10 seconds, then calls up the Miami airport, asks for some flight information. We see him at the airport with Par Avion by Mike and the Mechanics playing in the background with flowers. Actually very sweet. And again, this is very much a step back in time because he's right at the gate waiting for her to get out. He's not waiting, you know, all the way back or waiting for her at the luggage carousel, like right at the gate. And this beautiful woman, and I really like her outfit. It is a sleeveless I don't want to say turtleneck, maybe like a mock turtleneck and like a blush pink. And she kind of jokes like, oh, are those flowers for me? Turns out he's waiting for one of the flight attendants. This is also a little bit interesting because in my head, the first thing that went was like, wait, Sunny, I thought you were married for quite a number of years. You know, you've already had fucking scam calls. I'm keeping that open because I was like, isn't that fitting that you guys can all finally hear that my Rodonis Crockett's theme? And it's even funnier because it wasn't even a scam call. It was actually my doctor. Everything's good. So that's even funnier. So I wanted to keep that little bit in there, even though, you know, I don't like to swear on the podcast, but that's too funny. And it is a very sweet scene, even though, like, in my head, I'm like, hmm, the timeline of the marriage. But I think, you know, to be fair, if we've already met him at the beginning of the series. So let's say the pilot in... Miami Vice Universe years was two years ago because about a year and a half from this episode. So let's say like in in their universe, two years, maybe two and a half. So he has been separated and like he's Don Johnson in the 80s. He's going to get a lot of phone numbers. He's going to keep himself busy. So this isn't completely out of the ordinary, but I digress. Unfortunately, we know what happens to her anyway. So why are we focusing too much on this? So <laughs> she kind of keeps turning him down. She keeps saying that she's really tired. You know, she doesn't want to hang out right now, but that she'll call him in the morning. He drives her home. And again, this B-roll footage made me laugh. I had to rewind it. Then I also made a gif of it because you can tell that it's meant for a completely different scene. This car, I looked at it too. You can look at it if you want to go to the gif on the gallery at, oh, I have a link tree now on my TikTok because I have more than a thousand followers. So thank you. You can go to my link tree and see the gallery there. The car... So Sunny is going through a green light. It's a red light for the car going north-south. The car going north-south slams on its brakes and kind of spins out. So I was like, wait, this wouldn't just be like you're driving a woman home from the airport driving. It's just, it's just funny. A little bit of continuity goofs. Boy, I really hope somebody got fired for that blunder. He drops her off at home, and I am going to state this multiple times in the podcast. I already stated it on the gallery. Uh, take a note that she is a flight attendant in the 80s. And I know flight attendants, they, you know, they're usually part of a union. They make decent money. But and I know that Miami is not as expensive as it is today. However, she lives right on the beach. So kind of keep this in mind as we continue the story along. Again, he drops her off. She's like, no, 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 no. He's like, I can watch you sleep. I'm like, oh, yeah, sure. I wonder where that's going to go. But she's really shutting it down. So I was also going to make this joke that <laughs> no, I'm not going to make it. I'm not going to make it. Hi. You weren't kidding. You really are tired, aren't you? A little late to play hard to get. <laughs> call you first thing in the morning. You sure you're going to be all right? Yeah. Sure. You know, I love to be with you. I'm just real tired, sonny. I can come and watch you sleep. <laughs> you know, you're in big trouble. 
So he says good night. She goes off. He goes back to the car, notices that she's left the bouquet of flowers that he brought with him to the airport to give to her. He goes back to her door. He hears a scream, breaks through the glass door, unlocks it, enters the bathroom and sees her convulsing and screaming on the floor. Picks her up, takes her to the ER. They're using the defibrillator. They're trying to do CPR. It doesn't work. The doctor looks over at Crockett, shakes her head, and we cut into the intro. And I should add that when we see her, she's not foaming at the mouth. There, like her eyes aren't on the back of her head. Like there's a scene that I took a clip of where she's like looking straight at Crockett and just screaming, but sitting on the floor. So it's very weird what's going on. Unfortunately, this is when the doctor explains to Crockett what's really transpired. What the hell happened? It's really quite simple, Mr. Crockett. The seizure stopped when she went into cardiovascular collapse. BP dropped out. We put her on a dopamine drip, but she didn't respond. We started CPR. She went flatline. A drug overdose. Your friend OD'd on cocaine. You got the wrong chart, lady. Sarah did not do drugs. I was just with her earlier tonight. She was straight as a judge. She didn't snort it or shoot it, Mr. Crockett. She swallowed it. We found a ruptured balloon in the upper GI tract. Four more balloons were found intact. I know you don't want to hear this, but I'm afraid we're going to have to notify the proper authorities. You already have. Now let's lend the mood a little bit. Before we get to fashion, I do want to say I love Crockett's unstructured, I want to say it's like a silk... It's not a smoking jacket. It's kind of like a sports jacket, but it's not super structured. It looks great on him, though. And this is what he's at when he's at the hospital. Then Crockett and Tubbs go over to Sarah's place to kind of survey the scene, see what else happens. They're not the only ones, though. We see a few gentlemen at the place. <laughs> Dress to the nines. Now, let's break this down. Obviously, we're going to get to it in fashion, but we got the panel jeans, one big muscular guy with panel jeans. Then you have the guy in the Hawaiian shirt with the eagle head necklace. And they're there to get something, but it's not as nefarious as it seems in this next clip. Can I help you? She was going to buy my B&W, but she's not here. It's gonna be kind of hard to prove, isn't it? I got the registration and the bill of sale right here. I should have sold it for six, but I only got five. $5,000. I want you to remember that figure as we transition to the next scene with Crockett and Tubbs going through Sarah's things in her apartment. This is when Tubbs discovers her, I want to say checkbook or, you know, her accounting record, so to speak. But it's a little book. I forget exactly what it's called. Maybe a budgeting book. So he notices that she only has $238 in her savings account. Today, that would be around $630. However, flip the page. 
a few days ago, she received $5,000. Therefore, Crock puts two and two together that she's using the $5,000 from this drug smuggling to buy the car. Then he's able to kind of connect the dots a little bit more in this next scene. Found 23 grams of coke inside her. Figure five or six killed her. She had a total of an ounce in there. Nobody pays $5,000 for an OZ. She must be carrying a sample. It's the only thing that makes any sense. You got any idea who Sarah might have been bringing in the sample for? Oh, yeah, sure, man. When I picked her up at the airport, she told me she had swallowed a bunch of cocaine and was delivering it to Joe Blow in the Grove. Ah, so let's regroup back to my math. I have this cocaine. I'm going to actually put it on social media or something. It's too funny. So this cocaine note I have on my phone that just says cocaine, 1985 prices. So 35 a key is 35 ounces. Uh, so therefore, each ounce would amount to $1,000. This was the price that they were getting ripped off. That's where that's the yuppies in the Phil the Shill episode. They were going to pay $35,000 for a key. And that's when I kind of did the math and realized that that's a little bit pricey. They were definitely ripping them off. So $5,000 for an ounce is incredibly expensive. So it makes sense. That's why he's thinking that it's a sample because you're probably investing in a lot of this money to make sure that you can actually start this transaction. I don't know. I should go back in time and become an 80s drug dealer so I could better service this podcast to you all. Now, speaking of shady characters, we see a what appears to be a Porsche 911 pull up in front of Sarah's apartment. Young guy gets out. Croc and Tubbs go to go meet him outside. Start asking him, you know, who he's looking for, what have you. He kind of stutters, backs off, says he has the wrong house, ends up trying to run away, get back in the car. Crockett kicks the door closed. Again, I have a very good gift of that on the gallery. Then they run off to the beach where Crockett ends up tackling him in the water. Like, this is all going on while people are just having fun, swimming in the beach, swimming in the ocean. Then he wins the Brother of the Year Award in this next clip. Listen, uh... Sarah died last night. Where's the body? Uh, so naturally Crockett beats him up. They bring him down to the station, interrogate him. His name, his name is Tim, says that she knew the risk, that she was down for it. And I guess this was a way for her to make a little bit of extra cash to pay for the BMW and for that beachfront apartment. That's just my, I'm just throwing in the beachfront apartment. The car is naturally where we kind of connected the dots, but that was just my little, the older you get, the more you wonder how people pay for things. I also know that a lot of people have lines of credit or they have bad credit and a lot of things are not owned. They are leased, but it's still always, uh, Something I'm very curious about is how just people can afford things. <laughs> and a lot of it is a facade. Let's be real. This is, again, this is 1985. This is pre-social media. So imagine, this is also why I'm very happy Miami Vice doesn't exist now. Because imagine what it would be like. <laughs> Sorry, so I digress. They do get a lead. Charlie Glide. Charlie Glide is known to Miami Vice. He's able to stay out of trouble. Can't even stick him with, as they say, is so much as a 
parking ticket or a jaywalking ticket. This is what keeps Charlie Glide apart from the others, is that he doesn't touch the bad stuff, meaning cocaine. Very interesting. We're going to see how this plays out through the episode. And now, of course, as we're meeting Charlie Glide, who is Ned Eisenberg, who we've already seen previously as Labrizzi's son. He was like Labrizzi Jr. taking over from his father in Lombard. So he's back, which I appreciate the Michael Mann casting. And he is really great and charming in this episode. Now, when we meet him, he's talking about this statue. I'm trying to say this politely because I am no artist. I am no art critic. It is a very um, bold statue. He's talking to a very beautiful blonde woman, an older gentleman, when Crockett comes up to Crash's party. He is known to Burnett's. Sorry, let me let me preface this by saying this is now Sonny Burnett. Burnett is now undercover at this party. This house, very familiar to me as well. Maybe I'll save it to the end. I'll, I'll spo- I won't spoil it for you. But this house is very familiar to a lot of us for a very fun reason. And now let's get to decor a little bit. This is very fun decor. It's not, again, my favorite dick inner decor. That actually will be another person in this episode. But I really enjoy the different shades of pink pillows on the couch. I really enjoy the view, the vista, Crockett's outfit with like the silk trousers. And there is a funny scene where um, they just kind of push away Charlie's gopher. He's not the gopher, but basically Charlie's executive assistant, Max, uh, who is very much stuck in the 70s with his style. So we'll kind of get to that too, which is, I really appreciate it because I really like the contrasting undershirt pocket square to suit. Sometimes Tubbs will do that. Tubbs, I don't think, is so much stuck in the 70s as he just has more of that East Coast New York swag that, you know, is working with Miami, but he's not embracing the pastels as much as Crockett. Or actually, shall I say, Burnett. They start talking a little bit of business. Seems like they're not really on the same page, though, because once again, like I'll remind you, Charlie doesn't touch the white stuff. And with that, so when Burnett is trying to use, leverage this lost, quote-unquote, basically it was Keys of Coke that Miami Vice misplaced or that didn't notice that we're missing as kind of like a way to butter him up and to get him to invest. They kind of speak back in riddles in this next scene. I hadn't thought of it before, but I could use a guy like you. Well, I'm going to be awfully preoccupied until I get this stuff moving. I don't know about starting anything new. Well, all I'm saying is it's hard to get good help these days. (laughs) Very, very hard. (laughs) is he alluding to his drug mule dying of an overdose i think that's what he's alluding but again he's not saying it charlie glide is very smart he knows how to get things done without implicating himself directly so with that tubbs and crockett or burnett and cooper want to make this deal so they go to the i want to say the seized Wherever they keep seized goods. Uh, Oh my God, I know the word for this. It'll come to me later. You're all yelling at me right now. I know this word. Basically, they go to get some cash. They want to make this deal. They want to make it look legit. There is a rat on top of keys of cocaine, which again, like I figured that this room would be kept quite clean. 
don't think there'd be a lot of food. I think it's just mostly drugs, money, guns, what have you. So a little bit interesting. I guess it's a metaphor. We'll see later on this episode. I'm so excited for this scene. Two of my favorite things, traveling back in time, embracing the 80s, and Tubbs' horrific Jamaican accent. <laughs> so he goes with this briefcase full of cash to meet with Max, who is Charlie Glide's executive assistant. <laughs> this is how Max responds. Are you nuts? Have you ever heard of traveler's checks? <laughs> oh, kids, look it up. I'm told that you can help me invest this for a profit. <laughs> well, um, honey market will yield you about 10%, municipal bond. Max, Max, come on, man. Let's not talk around the point. You know exactly what I'm speaking about. Further to kind of butter him up, Cooper mentions that his associate, Johnny Souls, recommended him and also dropped the name Charlie Glide. So therefore, Max knows what he's asking for, and Cooper is able to kind of further his reputation a little bit, so to speak. Then we go to Glide's office, which is great. Again, I wish the decor was a little bit more over the top. I really like the big old school computer, black, sleek, it's a very elegant office. It could have been a little bit cheesier. I really also love Charlie's outfit, which is the textured white silk shirt with blue pants. And then another scene, he's wearing a blue blazer. So I guess the outfit would all come together. Really enjoy that. Max is a little bit on edge in this next clip. Another one. Uh, I think I'm getting tired of this business already. <laughs> yeah. Max, will you get that? Pl- no! Call you back. I'm, I'm not your girlfriend, Charlie. No, you're not. Timmy is, but he screwed up. What are we gonna do about Timmy? We? Charlie Glide. No, no, I just want to call on Greyhound. Yeah. You're the executive assistant, Max. Show some initiative. Well, how about Beet Sugar? It's Denver OTC. All the talk about stocks does really entertain me. So when I was younger, obviously, I watched Wall Street and I wanted to be a stockbroker for a short period of time just because I liked that it was very fast paced and every day was different. You could make a lot of money from it. My parents both worked for banks. So, you know, I kind of could have already had an in. It was just the early hours. Um, even on the East Coast, you still like be there at 7 a.m., 7.30. You know, can't really be strolling in late. I was like, I'm just not a morning person. But also, yeah, I didn't really want to work for a bank. But yeah, in a parallel life, that would have been a very interesting job. But especially in the 80s, being able to like smoke inside your office, just on the phone all day, yelling at people. And I did read like seven different articles about Sam Bankman Fried, who is the crypto... The crypto boy who just had this huge fall from grace. I believe it's Alameda. And then it is uh, FTX that both went under and just all the memes and just all these stories about it and how interesting these falls from graces are when these people are really championed as being disruptors. And again, 
for the, um, 30 under 30 and for all these whiz kids, quote unquote, like, wait, what do your parents do? I would like to know. I digress. So in my notes, what to do about Timmy? And that's a pretty big, I think I put yep, underlined as well. So he comes by to give Charlie info, again, going through Max. Max kind of pushes back. Tim says that he won't deal with an errand boy. Max lets him know that he is, in fact, the errand boy. And as Timmy is about to go off to tell Charlie something on his own, Max shoots him with a silencer. At the crime scene, later on, Crockett implicates Charlie. And when he kind of gets pushed back on it, like, haven't been able to get anything to stick on Charlie Glide. He's like, he might not have pulled the trigger, but he's behind it, which is kind of the whole that is the foundation of Charlie Glide's business. So now that brother of the year Timmy is out of the picture, Charlie and Max catch up and they start telling each other what's been happening between them or with them the past couple days. What's transpired? Who have they met? Hmm. Rabbit named Burnett shows up and says he's uh, brokering 10 keys of flake for a friend. Can I find the financer? Of course I can. Because the very next day, some possibly Jamaican embezzler shows up with a satchel full of finance. And Timmy Davis's sample is in the hands of the authorities. You think we're being set up? I checked the source in Miami police. The dope is sure enough misplaced. Call Johnny Souls in Jamaica. I bet he gives Cooper a rave review. You think it's all legit? I think it's the cops trying to put the slide on Charlie Glide. It's obvious entrapment. I thought you knew Burnett. So did I. Now, it seems I am making this episode unintentionally clip-heavy, but there are a lot of clips that divulge a lot of information, and this is a very important one, and just do the math in your head. Next clip. You guarantee? I do my best. I'll set up a meeting for tomorrow night. 30 a kilo. Gonna have 35, my friend. These new Coast Guard blockades are driving the prices right through the ceiling. I can talk them into 32. 33. That's every cent he's got. Forty-three. I thought you said it would be thirty-five. Whoa, because I was doing the math in my head. It was like forty-three thousand dollars for a key. And this is when Max is like, "Hey, you know what? Like, this is really good quality stuff. It's quote unquote untrampled, and that's why it's worth so much." And again. Like, I'm comparing to prices today from what I've been told. But again, if it's supposed to be pristine, maybe this is why Garner is such a high price. And of course, Glide is going to take a little bit off the top. You can hear the two pro prices being quoted. And obviously, there's a difference, you know. 43 33 therefore $10,000 would go to Glide as acting as the middleman. And I guess that is their commission, so to speak. Now, when Burnett... Cooper and Glide are meeting. They're meeting outside at the Miami Marine Stadium, which, sadly, you can see a link in the description notes, was shut down in 1992 after Hurricane Andrew hit and has been deemed unsafe. And they still, to this day, I post an article from 2022 of what to do with it, but it looks like such a cool venue. 
oh, and it's just like a very special Miami place, you know, just to be able to have that right on the water in order to see like boat shows, concerts, what have you looks super cool. So hopefully by the time I finish this podcast, I would have good news to deliver you to you on the front of what's going on with the Miami Marine Stadium, because I would love to see that myself. It'd be so cool to go there and see a show, see cigarette boat racing like the great McCarthy, what have you. Now, when they're all meeting, again, they're acting like they don't know each other. So we have Cooper, a.k.a. Tubbs, waiting at the Marine Stadium with Glide and Burnett pulling up in the speedboat. Then when Glide kind of says to Cooper, like, hey, I'm not joining you. You're doing the deal. That's when he reveals that he knows that there are cops. But before everything goes awry, Crockett and Tubbs have an ace up their sleeve. It's entrapment. Okay? You shouldn't put that in your report. Ciao, fellas. By the way... That uh, money you skimmed from the payment, it's a counterfeit. I just thought you'd like to know. Hope you didn't try to pass any of that money through the bank. Be pretty embarrassing trying to explain where you got it from. It's federal, isn't it? Yeah, it is federal. Feds. It'll never stick. You never know. Call a judge and find out. With that, Charlie proposes they make a deal. Now, I'm totally sorry about the continuity error on my end. I totally forgot to include the bank scene where he goes to a safety deposit box because it's a really great shot of his Porsche outside this beautiful skyscraper and then him handing the bank manager, I'm assuming, this wad of cash for him to put in his corporate account. And they make this kind of slight comment like, oh, business is going well, because you know, he's just depositing tons of cash. And then, of course, you know, skimming it for himself as well. So very interesting. And yeah, uh, you're dealing with not only the Fed's secret service. So big deal counterfeiting money. Big, big, big deal accepting and laundering counterfeit money. So this is when they bring Charlie in for questioning. Surprise, surprise. Charlie is not the easiest person to work with. And so after Crockett, and Tubbs and Castillo agree that, you know, they have to work with him, Glide starts giving out a name, Lydia Sugarman, Sugarman Electronics. They're again trying to figure out where this is going. It turns out that Lydia is the widow of the owner who just recently passed away. She got a $15 million inheritance. She's looking to triple that. So keep that in mind as we go forward. Now, let's play a clip where Charlie really knows how to get under someone's skin. Sarah was a friend of mine. If it was up to me, pal. Yeah, but it's not up to you, Crockett. You got to do your job. You got to deal with me. Not a good week for the Davis family, I hear. Hey, hey, crack it, be cool, man. We're your new runners, Glide. Cooper and Burnett. Wow, I know that was a little rude, but that's a brilliant line. Bad week for the Davis family. Whew. Ouch, that burns. <laughs> Wow, well, Charlie is nothing but not 
clever. He's a very smart man. Whether or not you agree with his tactics, you cannot deny that brain of his. Also, there was a great clip. Um, that sound you heard is Crockett sh- kicking the chair out from underneath. <laughs> if I have not included a gif of it, I will make one because that is a great scene. Now, this next party that they're going to, they're on a boat. The host of which, Zabata, not the most elegant dinner guest. He pops open a bottle of champagne, starts drinking it himself. Champagne is kind of running down the sides of his mouth. It's not an attractive look. We see Crockett as Burnett. We see Tubbs as Cooper. We see Charlie. Then we also are introduced to the mysterious Lydia Sugarman. Again, they mentioned that she's very young. <laughs> she she looks to be like definitely 30 or under. So again, she's the widow of the recently deceased owner who passed away at 97 years old. So <laughs> this, this dinner is wild. So again, the host Zabata is eating caviar with his hands. <laughs> then Lydia asked for a Long Island iced tea. Very funny because it is delivered looking very heavy on the Coke. Long Island iced tea is all for white liquors, sour mix, and Coke. And there doesn't seem to be any sour mix. It just looks to be maybe just liquor and Coke. So, but then I noticed that it's delivered by a shirtless server, like a very buff shirtless server. And she's sitting next to Crockett. Crockett looking amazing in that shade of blue, by the way. Just a very interesting party scene. Then Lydia gets a little bit down to business. And then the links are further revealed in this next clip. Mr. Burnett, you look like you know your way about this business. Oh, yeah. It's loads of fun once you get used to it. That's too bad. I don't plan on becoming used to it. I didn't plan on being here at all. I was supposed to receive a sample. All right, let's talk delivery. And Lydia, my friends here. I hope your plans for the delivery turn out better than the delivery of the sample. Oh, they will. My mule got sick. That's all. Your finances are in order, Lydia? <laughs> he actually thinks I might not have the cash. <laughs> but you do, right? So after this entirely wild party scene, they're able to get some business done. So the deal will be going down tomorrow. Lydia will be bringing her money and... Zabata is going to be the main contact. So a little bit more backstory about him. He has a cousin from Caltech, as Zito and Swedtech are talking about, at the precinct, who came back to, I believe, Ecuador. I know, I'm, I, my notes on this are a little bit iffy. I was very much, over, ooh, I was very much overwhelmed by him eating caviar with his hands. He wanted to put a patent on refining coke and he had this like crazy idea of how to change cocaine production from his education at caltech which very funny obviously in the end it flopped so vice is going to have full surveillance on the meeting on the boat there is a party going on at this venue that just has 385 north and i really like the font of the 385 definitely go check it out in the gallery it's very miami you know like the white art deco uh, with a little bit like the, the balcony railings, super cool. This episode is very stylish. This was a very nice 
episode to take pictures of and to take media of. And I really appreciate that. Cause it's just like, oh, I'm just in love with everything. And then even more. So Max is at this party, calls Lydia, who is in the tub, in a full-on bubble bath, in a huge tub, I might add, just taking business calls. And like, this is all I want from life. Have enough money, or I could just have this giant bathroom paradise spa. I have a sauna at home, all that fun stuff. But yeah, she looks amazing. The decor in this scene is, I want to give it a 10 out of 10 because it is so epic. So the point of this phone call is not for me to gush over the decor. It's for Max to let Lydia know that the plan has been rescheduled, that Charlie has made Burnett and Cooper out to be cops, and he asked Lydia to make a sacrifice. But the scene ends before we can know what the sacrifice is. However, for us, the viewer, we know this deal could go awry since they've been made for cops. Now... The deal goes down, and Armando, who is Abedo's right-hand man, has this epic earring that it was impossible for me to get a screenshot of because it it was hard to get, like, a still frame of it just because the earring was moving so much. But it just looked like a silver rectangle hanging out of his left ear. Looks epic. Super cool. But I wish I could get a better picture of it. And... Zabada is saying how far Armando and him go back, and then when you finish this episode... You're a little bit horrified as to the lack of loyalty in this entire episode. Has been with me since the coup aborted. Some sacrifices are inevitable. Better start loading the dope into Burnett's boat. There'll be lights. <laughs> Notice that he doesn't say what side of the coup they were on. But Charlie's just so selfish. No ties to anybody, as obviously in this entire episode that we're seeing. But when we see what happens, it just makes it that much worse. So surprise, surprise to nobody. Something is going to go wrong when Cooper, Burnett and Armando make the deal. So luckily, as they pull into this garage that Armando has to manually open the door. Because again, the garage is closed when they're coming in. They're already kind of feeling a little bit off. It is good they have that instinct and that intuition because once they get into the garage, they, it's actually also a little funny continuity bit. So the garage door is almost closed. They look up, they see the bomb and they jump out and swim to safety. But there, the garage door is about 50% open. So you could tell that obviously they had to shoot a couple times and that they wouldn't have nerds like me just pouring over this footage 30 plus years later going over continuity issues. Boy, I really hope somebody got fired for that blunder. And also keep in mind that the entire Vice Squad is doing surveillance on this deal. So they just see the garage blow up, assuming that Crockett and Tubbs are in the fray. Thankfully, they've swum up to safety, and then they go to, as my notes say, beat the shit out of Max. <laughs> they go to this party where he's talking to two beautiful women in very beautiful 80s bright-colored outfits. I really like the one uh, wearing the yellow dress with patterns. So, naturally, they drag him out, take him outside, threaten basically to push him off. They basically lift him up, put him on the rail of the dock outside. He starts saying that he can't swim, blah, 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 blah. And then he starts speaking up a little bit more. Initially, he blames Zavato and says that he made them up for cops. And then Max snitches on Glide's deal by the river. 
tell them that the other deal is actually going on. They hijack the boat and go after it. And it's this couple making out because, you know, they're at this. I want to say it's a house party. I always thought it was a venue, but I guess looking back on it, it's just it's a big house in Miami as one is want to have parties at. They hijack this boat and they go to crash this deal. Please go to the gallery and look at Lydia's hair in this She's so much prettier with her hair put back, and it's great curly hair, but it's just way too much. It is just so much hair. It looks a little bit clownish, and because she does have red hair and she does have the bright red lipstick on, it just doesn't suit her. She actually has a very pretty, narrow face, and this hair does nothing to help it. Now, goofy haircut aside, I really like Lydia because in this scene, again, she means business as she pulls the gun on Charlie she tells him that he's incompetent, that he keeps messing up. Again, excuse after excuse after excuse. And then she asked the question that I'm sure every single one of his cronies would have loved to ask. Keep squirming out of things, Charlie. Lydia, for all the cops know, the cocaine and the cash went up in the explosion with the two cops. We're home free. All they got are splinters and guesses. How come everyone else always pays for you? How come you never pay? Why is that? Lydia, listen to me, please. Now, Crockett, Tubbs, and the rest of the Vice Squad come. This big shootout occurs. Lydia actually gets out safe. She gets into her limo. However, on her way out the exit, she is surrounded by a police blockade. She's caught. They think that Glide is off scot-free once again. But as Crockett is talking to the other cops, Glide just saunters up to Crockett and to thank him for helping him back there. Again, Crockett could have died had he not noticed the bomb. So he's pissed and he says that he set him up. Again, Glide tries to wash his hands with the whole thing. He says that he helped them out, that they had a deal. Just as they think Glide is going to get away scot-free, Castillo comes up with a gun in an evidence bag with the bullet that killed Tim Davis. Interesting. Is this your gun? Sure is. I got a permit for it. Same kind of gun that killed Tim Davis. I didn't do it. Doesn't matter, Charlie. It's your destiny. I'm crazy. I'm innocent. Karma, Charlie. Be happy you finally get to pay. Book a murder one. What? I didn't do it! Yeah? Well, you look real good for it, Charlie. Real good. I think you did it. And I think you're going to jail. This isn't justice. You guys are changing the rules, man. You're changing the rules. Okay, now, while I get that they want to wrap this episode up with getting a charge on Charlie, murder one is a very hard charge to stick. That means premeditated murder. And again, when they do the forensic evidence and they will find fingerprints that belong to Max and to Charlie, being able to prove that they premeditated the murder and that Charlie pulled the trigger might be a little difficult. Manslaughter might be an easier charge to get to stick. I know that obviously murder one carries a much heavier sentence, most likely the death penalty. So that's also why I get that they want to wrap this story up neatly. But like in my head, logically, like that means that he might actually get off on a mistrial if the jury's deadlocked because that is a very serious charge to stick onto somebody. But that is the episode. That was actually a nice fun-ish episode. I really enjoyed the style. I really enjoyed Ned Eisenberg. Rest in peace. 
Uh, this is the second episode, so I really appreciate the Michael Mann casting. And let's break this down a little bit further. By all accounts, Ned Eisenberg seemed like an amazing guy, so I have no vice tea on him, similar like I didn't have any on Lombard. But this isn't vice tea either, but I think this is just such an 80s resume and Carla, the lady that played Lydia Sugarman. These are her credits on IMDb, and I love it. Liquid Sky, 1982. Perfect Strangers, 1984. Desperately Seeking Susan, 1985. Miami Vice, 1986. Crocodile Dundee, 1986. The Equalizer, 1987. The Suicide Club with Mariel Hemingway, 1988. Bum Rap, Grace, 1988. Tattingers, don't know what that is, 1988. And then High score, 1990, and then one more credit, Downtown 81 Fashion Show Model 2000. And I'm assuming that Downtown 81 in the 2000 might have been like a composite of models working in the early 80s, so I'm figuring maybe that's why she's there. I'm ignorant. I have not seen this. But this is not feisty, but I'm going to try to make this a regular thing. Maybe it'll have its own segment of... um, what do people say? Like, I'm dropping in the group chat or this is my plug or this is my pick for the week. I watched the movie Deep Cover with Lawrence Fishburne and Jeff Goldblum, and it's about Lawrence Fishburne going undercover. But you have Gregory Sierra and then you have Clarence Williams III also in the movie. So you've got like a little bit of a Miami Vice connection. I thought it was really well done and a good portrayal of life undercover and corruption. So highly recommend it. I'll watch anything with Lawrence Fishburne, but Lawrence Fishburne and Jeff Goldblum Sign me up. Highly recommended. I was able to watch it on my Criterion Collection app. So if you have that, definitely put that in your list. Wow. Okay, the fashionist episode. (laughs) Should I just start with the wild card? Because I think I'm just going to start with the wild card. Wild card has to be the kind of beefcake-y guy at Sarah's apartment with the panel jeans. I love it because his butt looks really good in those jeans. You could just tell, like, this is a very beefy, muscular guy. That is my wild card pick. Now, for best dressed man, Crockett in the silk white trousers. Then you also have Max with the textured white silk shirt. But then I, no, not, not Max. Oh my God, Charlie with the white textured shirt. Max just fully embracing the 70s with his, not really leisure suits, but with his contrasting suits with pocket squares it's a little bit more tailored than some of the other stuff we see on Miami Vice just very much a throwback to the 70s I think that's the thing is that Max is kind of the old guard he's working for some young you know rich stock trader kid and you know trying to hold on to a little bit of like the style he had in the 70s uh then the best undressed man undressed man of course of course of course is going to go to the topless waiter delivering the incredibly coke heavy long island iced tea to lydia then best decor naturally is going to be lydia in the bathtub with all these plants around her and again it's a black bathtub bubble bath now speaking of epic bathtubs what movie would come to mind when you think of epic bubble bath scenes. For me, it'd be Scarface. And this is not the only parallel I saw to Scarface in this episode, because when Crockett crashes Charlie's house party, they're inside, and I see a circular elevator, or a cylindrical elevator, behind them. 
I'm like, wait, 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 wait. Don't tell me this is the house from Scarface where Michelle Pfeiffer comes down the elevator. It is. It is Frank's house. So I obviously I linked to it in the description notes. But what a funny world. Like, of course, I do appreciate that because obviously Miami Vice probably took some inspiration from Scarface. So I thought that was a little nice touch. And I want to know who owned this house and who was renting it out for filming because epic, epic. Now, let's wrap this episode up and talk about music. I will personally say my opinion that the music this episode was a little bit weak. Like, I do like Russ Ballard in the previous episodes of Miami Vice that he's been featured in. However, in this scene, just, like, didn't really do anything for me. My choice is actually going to be the Mike and the Mechanics song that we heard at the beginning, just for how it was used. It is a cheesy, cute song about being reunited with your lover. And just the way they were able to have such a jarring disturbing cold open this is network tv in the 80s and you're watching somebody overdose on the bathroom floor again they didn't really show the symptoms that we would traditionally attribute to a drug overdose such as foaming at the mouth and you know having a seizure but it's still like again this is yeah a little bit jarring to have this sweet song playing in the background and again to have sunny and one of his love interests and for it to go horribly wrong Poor guy, man. But that is the episode. I want to thank you for listening to me. Again, I will try to make this as regular as I can. I really enjoy doing the podcast, and it's not something that I am putting off willingly. It's just life got in the way, and my iron levels also got in the way. And apparently my low blood pressure also got in the way. So I look forward to bringing you lots more content. I'm going to try to post regularly over the holidays and keep you all entertained. Thank you again for supporting, for listening, for liking, for subscribing, for telling your friends. Thank you again. Definitely see you next time. And as always. Hey, man. Miami Wise is number one new show.